Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. In C.S. Lewis's children's novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we meet a young man named Edmund Pevensey, who, to be honest, is a little self-consumed. Edmund and his siblings visit the magical country of Narnia, which is in the middle of this big conflict between the White Witch and the Lion Aslan, who is the son of the emperor beyond the sea. And the children in this new country find themselves caught up in the conflict unexpectedly because there's this prophecy that says that four siblings will show up from a faraway land and become kings and queens. And clearly, the White Witch does not want this to happen. Edmund, because of his self-centeredness and because he's full of resentment towards his siblings, finds himself on the side of the White Witch because she's promised him that she will make him king apart from all of his siblings. Too late, he realizes that actually she means to kill them all so that the prophecy can't happen, and he's already betrayed his siblings to her. But in the midst of all of this mess, Aslan shows up and rescues him and brings him to his side, and Aslan's army is preparing for the final battle against the White Witch, and it looks like everything is going to be fine. But on the eve of the battle, Edmund's sisters, Susan and Lucy, catch Aslan slipping out of the camp. They follow him, and to their horror, they realize that he is handing himself over to the White Witch in Edmund's place because of Edmund's betrayal. All of this makes no sense to them. Aslan's army stands to win the battle, and he's so strong of a lion that he could take out any of the White Witch's henchmen so easily. Even the White Witch herself trembles at the sight of him. Susan and Lucy know that the White Witch will kill him if he doesn't defend himself. And sure enough, they watch as her followers bind him to the stone table and kill him. It all seems so senseless and unnecessary, and Susan and Lucy are devastated, and they are dumbfounded at the pure foolishness of it. Our epistle reading today opens with Paul admitting to preaching a similar foolishness. He's deeply aware that the message he brings about Christianity to the Corinthians seems utterly irrational to them. The gospel he preaches is absurd. It's not persuasive. It's not the wisdom of the world. And as a result, the Corinthians are skeptical of him. Why should they believe him when they have the world's best philosophers and best orators available to them? And the thing is, is that there's actually much in our faith that does make sense to the world around us. And Paul could have preached these things. We believe in the power of love over hate. We believe in caring for those less fortunate than us and taking care of their needs. 
We respect the basic dignity of every human being, and we vow in our baptisms, as we will in just a minute with little Otelia, to strive for justice and peace amongst all people. We believe in forgiveness and second chances that make the world a better place in whatever small way we can. And all of this is true, and all of this is good, and through Paul's letters, we know that he would agree with all of these things. But this isn't what he led with when he preached to the Corinthians. This isn't what he emphasized. It's not what he presented as the core of this new faith that he was proclaiming on all of his missionary journeys. Instead, Paul preached Christ and him crucified. Paul preached about Jesus, who was in the form of God, but did not cling to being equal to God. Instead, he emptied himself out by becoming human and dying the painful, ignominious death of a criminal on the cross. This message is foolishness to the world. Because as far as the world is concerned, this death is final. And so why would it be wise? Jesus, as an itinerant preacher, was doing so much good in Judea during his earthly ministry. He was loving people whom others hated. He was feeding people who were hungry. He was touching and healing people that others treated as unclean outcasts. He was, in a word, making his world a better place. And even more, the crowds that followed him were ready to make him king, to overthrow the Roman Empire's occupation, to restore the kingdom to Israel and make God's rule there permanent. But then he died on a cross. And that death ended his earthly ministry. It ended any hopes of God restoring the kingdom to Israel then and there through him. It ended everything that seemed like wisdom to the crowds around him in who he was. And so that death was utter foolishness to the world. But that death is the essence of the gospel. This is what Paul preached. And, and that doesn't make a ton of sense always. Why go with something so utterly at odds with what our world values? Wouldn't it make more sense to lead with God's love rather than Jesus' death? And the answer to this is not so much in Jesus' death itself, but rather in what Jesus' death accomplished for each one of us. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God forever. Death and sin entered the world through humanity's disobedience of God. And forgiveness and eternal life entered the world through Jesus' death and resurrection. And this, in and of itself, is counterintuitive. Who would think that one would defeat death through death? But this is the mystery of God, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. 
there is a deeper reality, a deeper set of laws hidden from the wise in our world, which made Jesus' death far more powerful than his life. Had those who crucified him realized this, had they known how his death would, what his death would actually accomplish and how it would utterly transform the world, they never would have crucified him. And there is deep irony in that, in that through that crucifixion, they put in motion the very thing they were trying to avoid. Jesus' reign eternally over the entire world as God places all things in subjection to him under his feet, including the very death that held him in the tomb for three days. What was foolishness to the world was actually the wisdom of God. And in the same way, Aslan's foolish actions were actually far from foolish. He did not stay dead. No, rather, he lay dead all night with Susan and Lucy weeping at his side, trying to untie the ropes until at last they gave up and walked away only to hear the crack of the stone table behind them as it was broken in two as Aslan was raised from the dead. And in their astonishment, as he tried to explain to them what had just happened, he said, Though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Jesus' death makes death work backwards and eventually cave in on itself and cease to exist altogether. We have not yet seen the fulfillment of this because Jesus is still working to put all things under his feet. And yet, we wait in expectation for that time when we will see the end of death forever. And until then, we have a beautiful reminder of what Jesus has done to death in the sacrament of baptism. We're about to watch little Otelia be submersed in the waters of baptism. And when that happens, she is buried with Christ in his death and then raised to new life through his resurrection. We are about to watch death work backwards in, our, in front of our very eyes. It will do the one thing that it was never supposed to do. It will give life through the foolish wisdom of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. 
produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.